Welcome to Scum, Beer and Villainy, the podcast about beer, geekery and everything in between. I'm your host, Marcel Harper. I've been brewing beer for more than a decade now and I'm the author of the beginnerbrewer.com blog. I'm joined in the studio, as always, by my co-host and fellow nerd, Matt Bezeling. Matt is never going to give you up and never going to let you down. Oh, really? Nice reference. Nice <laughs> reference. Yeah, I'm not... Uh, you're right. I don't, I don't really like it I do like believe I just rickrolled you. Yeah, you did. You like, real life rickrolled me. I know. Also, thanks for taking me back to 2006. Exactly. This has been a real nostalgia trip. It's good to be back in the studio, man. It is. We've had uh, way too long of a break, I think. Yeah, I guess we have to apologize to listeners a little bit. Well, po- I'm going to blame you. <laughs> Do you want to explain yourself? <laughs> I, 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 I can't explain myself. I've got absolutely no way of explaining myself. Um, also, apologizing to them would assume that they are upset that we've taken a break. It would also assume that we really have any listeners. Yes, it would assume that there is someone out there <laughs> who was upset that we went on for fucking two My months. mom is perfectly okay with everything we do on this podcast, and she is pretty much the other listener, <laughs> so I'm okay with that. Um, my mom was listening, but she said that we cussed too much. Right. Yeah. What, what's cussing? <laughs> fucking swearing. Right. We never fucking swear. So, Matt, it's the first episode of 2017. We waited three months... <laughs> To get here. <laughs> so I, I think it's partly because we've had some trouble with the studio and our lives exploding. Yeah. yeah things falling apart gracefully. Pretty much. I mean, we, we thought that 2017 was going to start nice and gentle, Mm-mm. like a, a smooth golden ale. And instead, it was the double IPA of the new yeah. year. It was a, a careening toboggan ride off a cliff in the Swiss Alps <laughs> exactly. rather you know, than a... Enamel stripping... <laughs> <laughs> It's been tough. It's, it's been, been tough. tough. You'll probably also be able to tell that I, I am recovering from a prolonged and yes. desperate illness. You are basically always ill. You, p- I worry uh, about you, Matt. I think your immune system might be compromised. I'm, what I'm concerned about is that almost every person I talk to says almost the same thing, that I'm, mm. al- I'm always sick. Yes. And I, I, can't, I don't remember being sick at all. You obviously didn't eat enough dirt as a child. Um, I think I ate too much dirt. My entire <laughs> my immune system is made of just like... Soil particles. I also think you don't drink enough beer. Beer is a known cure <laughs> for most things. That's a patent lie, and you know that. No, no. I've seen the science, and I believe it. So this is also our episode four, which makes it our new hope. What do you think about that? You make the vaguest references. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what to think about that. That's actually kind of weird. Well, uh, I think the prequel, episode one through three, pretty much went the way we thought it would. <laughs> Yes, it's it's keeping in line with our expectation, which does suggest though that our next episode is going to be like the best podcast episode we'll ever do, and then from there on in we'll always just reference that because it'll be the empire of podcasts. Exactly, we'll just keep on saying, well, you know, if only we were that good. Wait, is your are you trying to tell me that the we were going to refer to our first three podcasts as the the prequels? <laughs> the prequels, yes. <laughs> I think it's only uh, right. Okay. We were right. still young and naive in 2016. I will, I now will. we're wise. You're certainly setting a very firm time limit on, on this podcast because <laughs> that means we only have like six left. Not really because, I mean, as we know, the Disney people are going to be producing a Star Wars movie now for once a year forever. Mm. But which means we can only do a podcast once a year forever. Well, true. But we'll, we'll do more than that. But uh, no, thanks for tuning in. And we are going to do this much more frequently. We are actually going to be moving studios very soon. Which will help as well, mm. and and that will also give us some uh, mobile capability where we're going to be able to broadcast from places like, well, I'm not going to reveal it, but no, we know, no, but places that places s- that sell places beer. with beer, yeah, 
Yeah. Those are good places. So, intro beer, man. Intro beer. I, I, we used to have a jingle for that, didn't you, we? You do have the jingle. Come on. Come uh, on intro beer. Oh, God. Okay, so intro beer is the Darling Breweries. What is it called? Silverback. 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 So, it's kind of cool because they call it a black white beer. That's kind of cool. I don't know why that's cool. Well, it's it's a wheat beer. Okay. Um, and most wheat beers are not. Well, there are some dark wheat beers. Oh, uh, okay. I uh, see like what you're getting. Like the Dunkel Weiss, but this is a. Well, I guess this is a Dunkel Weiss, but it's kind of cool. I like it. It's it's actually my better half's favorite beer. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, second favorite since she's recently had a Japanese craft beer, which blew our mind. A Japanese craft. beer? Oh man. I think we should we should have an entire show dedicated to Japanese craft beer. This isn't you just being all hipstery and lost in translation. And no, like no. Japanese Japan's craft beer has really taken off. I mean, they are kind of a beer culture. They've they've had a lot of breweries for a very long time. Um, but they've also, like most other countries, just gone into lagers and stuff. But the craft beer movement in Japan is really taking off. And we had, um, at, a, at a, a sushi place, some Japanese craft beer. It was incredible. Really? It was some of the best beer I've ever had. There was this one which is a red rice beer. So there's a it's apparently red rice. I didn't even know there was red no, rice. No, yeah, you're blowing my mind in different ways, yeah. And and it, it was like an amber ale, but like spicy in a way which I've never had a beer before. It sounds like you're in love with this beer. It sounds like you it and this is, beer should get married. It's an incredible beer. I mean it it really goes well with Eastern food as well. Mm. And but it was just it was spicy and it was hoppy and it was malty. It was incredible. Maybe we need to give you a couple of seconds to gather yourself. I know. You've been, you've, I feel exhausted. <laughs> I feel like I need to light up. You've got a deranged look in your eyes. <laughs> so but, that's, that's now okay. her favorite beer, but this is her okay, second so this favorite is, beer. Well, I mean, it is actually quite delicious. I won't mm. lie. 4% alcohol. It's, it's opaque, basically. Um, it's definitely got that wheat mm. beer smoothness, mm. slightly um, phenolic kind of stuff going on, clove-like flavors. But, and a bit roasty as well because of yeah. the dark malt. Yeah. But it's it's actually a very easy drinking beer. Now, you see, now that's a term actually I wanted to discuss today. Easy drinking. Easy drinking. I've got a theory about that because people say that a lot in beer reviews and other things I've been reading on, on the interwebs. I'm sure we've said it a couple of times. We, we've probably said it as well. I, I'm beginning to hate that term. Why? Because I think easy drinking is code for bland and boring. No, I, no, sure. I categorically say, disagree like, with you. Like people always say it almost as in defense. Like, oh, this is easy drinking beer, as in this is shit. No, I think you have to look you at the intent so? behind it. I think sometimes no, you're going to disagree. With it. I thought this I'm podcast is about everyone agreeing with you. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I friend. saw that on the contract you signed. No, no. Also, <laughs> as if we could afford a contract. Um, no, no. I, I think sometimes, especially if it's in style, then the easy drinking is probably the best thing you can say about it. Mm. Um, and sometimes you would you want an easy drinking. I mean, come on, we were actually. No, but I, I just think easy drinking is sometimes overused in the sense that it's sort of, you know, let's not have any edgy, interesting beers. It, Everything tastes very middle of the road. If what you're saying is that sometimes people use the term easy drinking as mm. a kind of metaphor for unchallenging or boring, that's what I mean. Then those people can go fuck themselves. That's what I mean. <laughs> so, so if you're such a person, you're yeah. listening to this podcast. Not for very long, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, because we just told you, you guys, fuck, fuck yourself. yourself yeah. um, we should probably stop telling people to go fuck themselves. I think this is like only the fourth or fifth time we've told someone right, to go fuck Right, it's themselves. fine. It's fine. Anyway, this is our episode four. We're allowed to make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can tell you right now, yeah. the Wookiee is not getting a medal at the end of this show. Yeah, and we, we can't go back and digitally re-edit this one so that <laughs> Thank God for my that. soul shoots first. 
Oh. Ah. I can't believe he went there. Did you just make a Wookiee noise? That was so painful. <laughs> that was so painful. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, the silver right. actually nice. Also, I think it's rad that they've got this, I think it's a badger. Yeah, each, it, each of Darling's beers are sort of dedicated to a specific endangered species. And this one is the honey badger. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Which I didn't know was endangered, but apparently oh, they oh. are. They're apparently ferocious as all hell. If they're so clever, why are they endangered? I don't think they're clever. They're ferocious. No, there's a there's a there's a, a, a there's a byline there that says cunning intelligence. Oh, okay. Well, if no. they're so cunningly intelligent, why haven't they built guns? Well, because we are more cunning than intelligent, man. <laughs> Do we control? We, we control the stockpiles. Yeah. So, no, the honey badger is mean, and it's very cool. I mean, this is the honey badger. Is there one for silverback? Um, the geometric tortoise is, is the geometric tortoise is one of their other one causes. Geometric tortoise is it just like a six-sided dice? Yes, it's no, it's legs. a twenty-sided dice. It's a twenty-sided dice with legs. And when it rolls a one, it gets eaten. <laughs> it falls on its back and can't get back up again. Exactly. <laughs> hmm. um, well, so what do you think of our intro beer? I think it's lovely, actually. I, I think it is easy drinking in the non-snide mm. way of saying that. Well, I'm actually always trying to select our intro beers as. I'm not going to use that term because I'm very sensitive about it. Uh, palate cleansing and refreshing. You won't use the word easy, e- easy drinking, but you will use the word palate cleansing. Mm. You're walking like mixed metaphor, but I'm a, I'm a contradiction wrapped in a cider enigma, man. <laughs> You're an enigma wrapped inside <laughs> a giant furry bear suit. So I, I hope it. Yeah, we'll edit that out in post. I don't want people to know what I wear during the podcast. <laughs> my onesie is my business. Your bear suit is fraying. <laughs> um, I, I enjoy it, and I'm, it is good that you know we start off with a little bit of a, mm. a more uh, maybe compromising beer, but it's um, it's 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 delicious. Yeah, it eases it's easy you to drink. In. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's it's a breakfast. Alcohol, for me, this is a breakfast beer as well. It's one of those. It's got a bit of a. I don't know. It's, it's got a breakfast quality. I, we probably should do a show about what. It means to be a breakfast beer. I, I was just going to say that. Do you know what a like artisanal thing that is? Mm. A, a breakfast beer. Like society frowns on drinking with breakfast. I love it. You know that. I love it. Uh, no, I'm sure you do, and I admire mm. you for it. There's actually an American craft beer um, outfit called Foundry or Founders. Sorry, Founders. They're in in Milwaukee of all places. So being a craft outfit in Milwaukee, yeah, everyone's got to come from somewhere. Yeah, but Milwaukee is the is the yeah. macro beer capital of America. Because that's where uh, Bosch and Anna Bushes yeah. and, and where Budweiser is brewed, and um, so to be a craft beer outfit in Milwaukee is sort of like being a craft bourbon outfit in Tennessee. Mm. You know, you're really going against the grain. Yeah, and and founders or a craft pornography outfit in Amsterdam, something like that. Yeah. Hey, we should do a show on craft pornography. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just we're just racking up yeah, the show the, ideas. These here. ideas are easy. 2017 is going to be easy. Um, and they, founders are, as they should be, very left of center. They bring out a legendary barrel-aged beer, which is very limited edition. So it's only once here, they, and they make a very limited quantity, and you have to pre-order it, mm. um, called KBS for short. It's Kentucky Breakfast Stout. Mm. It's a mm. breakfast stout. Mm. But it's a barrel-aged, uh, barrel-aged and bourbon barrels beer. And it's leg- I've never had it, but it's one of those legendary bucket list beers, along mm. with Pliny the Elder and mm. and you know people talk about it in hashtags and those beers, which you do have to try. Mm. So I'm hoping to get some this year. We should actually have a a bit of an international beer episode as well. Sure, cool. On today's show, we have lots of cool stuff lined up. It is weirdly the lager show today. I never thought we would do that. 
Who would have thunk it? I, I would have thunk it. I know. I mean, I've, I have been a little bit critical of lagers <laughs> in my life. Do you think that they're easy drinking? I think they might be. <laughs> in um, the snide, man. <laughs> too easy. Uh. Um, they've loosened the corset of beer so that everyone may fondle her breasts. <laughs> uh, lagers are interesting. It's an interesting class of beer. So today we're going to do craft lagers. We're going to think about them in comparison to the more macro lagers we've tasted all our lives. But I think I've been critical about lagers maybe because so many craft outfits in South Africa have immediately jumped and done, done a lager. Um, is, not always for good reason, I it, think. Is it not because lager is what people know? especially in this country. Well, yes, but that's probably part of the problem for me, is the fact that... They should try harder. The, the part of craft beer is to educate people about different styles of beer, not just immediately go to something everyone knows. You're I like, think also that a lot of craft brewers I've spoken to are overly sensitive and paranoid about different beers, and they think people won't have them. And I forget that a lot of the early craft beer guys made non-lagers, which were very successful, um, because people want to try new things. That's kind of part of the appeal of craft beer. Sure. You, you're not, your target market really is not the person who never wants to try anything else and always wants to drink mm. 24 you know, castles while watching rugby. Mm. That is not your target market. So I think, I think there's, there's a fair amount of unnecessary paranoia about you know, not having a beer everyone will like. Um, having said that, I, th- I think you're a commer- if you're a commercial no, outfit, you kind of have to look at the money. motive. But even so, there are non-lager beers which are easy drinking enough to sell large quantities of. You don't have to make a lager. Anyway, but we're going to do craft lagers. There's a lot of craft lagers out there. Um, so we're going to try and sort of put them in some kind of order of how we like them. Totally subjective, of course. But it should be interesting. And then also music. Music. Oh, uh, yes. Tell us about the music. Let's do the music. music of the show is brought to you by the Deaf Commission. It's a Josie-based stoner rock, hard rock outfit. I think they're very cool. Mm. I think our listeners will hopefully agree. Um, they also have some of the best cover art yeah, I've ever seen. Very rad art. Really rad art. Mm. I mean, I'd love to, to find out who the artist is. And then make love to him. Maybe. And then also, yeah, you can check them out on SoundCloud, on Bandcamp. We'll put the links in the show notes. Mm. Um, but yeah, Def Commission, really cool band. I'm, I'm really digging their music. Maybe uh, play some, play some Def Commission. Def Commission. It's the time in the show where we're going to talk about making your own beer. And Do we need a jingle for this part? We probably do. Okay. Making your own beer. That's beautiful, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a wrap right there. <laughs> um, so Print recently, 
As in three months ago. Yeah, recently, as in like yeah, a lifetime. Um, you tried your hand at brewing beer for the first time, man. Well, yes, being handheld during, <laughs> during the entire process from start to finish. And sure. Basically, not trying not to touch any ingredients. But yes, yes, I did. But um, we, we did a small batch of beer together. We did. We did what, like five liters, four liters? It was liters? about a five liter batch. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to know what you thought of it. Um, I found it incredibly satisfying. I found it really, really, really satisfying. Um, it, it's also <laughs> the the understanding that you have of of how beer is made mm. is influenced a lot by SAB adverts, you know, and <laughs> and it, yeah, it's, people in lab coats. Yeah, it's made to seem like someone is pouring water over a head of wheat, yes. and at the there's a bucket on the floor that becomes beer. Yeah. Um, magically, magically, you know, and and that you know, in practice, that isn't how it happens, which mm. I'm sure most people would be surprised to know, and um, that it involves more than pouring water over <laughs> a head of wheat. Yeah, it's more like cooking than anything else. It is. It's it's like it's like baking because mm. because it, it, temperature is vitally important, mm. uh, timing is vitally important. Um, you know when to add certain ingredients. I mean, that's a that that whole concept of of the yeast and and the time that you give it and those mm, kind of things. Mm. It's very much like making bread or uh, exactly. you know baking a cake or you know those kind of things. And no, there's like lots say, of variables, lots of moving parts. Sure, sure. Um, and and like I say, I found it very satisfying to uh, you know three quarters of the way through the process have a beautiful smelling kitchen. Yeah, and uh, and seeing this. The stuff on the boil and knowing it's, that we're going to get some beer out of it. It's kind of interesting how many people I've worked with for the first time in their brew beer and I, I brew beer with them, they they sort of have worried about the smells because they think somehow it must smell really weird. Yeah. And then when you actually smell beer being brewed, it smells yeah. magnificent. Yeah. I, I remember when when you were doing your commercial brewing, mm. um, that, that first batch that we came to mm. kind of kick off. Yeah. And and you you put all of those grains in the in that mm. giant in the mash time in the mash yeah mm. and like the entirety of Joburg must have smelled that <laughs> it it smelled like breakfast in a in a Scottish tavern it was, exactly it was delicious yeah. um, and I mean that's a if you're gonna if you're gonna make something out of your life you know that's a pretty good smell to be dealing with mm. on a daily basis it is I mean it, it's incredible I mean I, I remember actually last year. Um, going to the tap room in Cape Town, the, the Devil's Peak tap room, because they have the restaurant right there with with their brewery. Um, and oh, I mean, you walk up the stairs there, and it's mm. the first smell which hits you is this, the sort of you know humid mm. but malty, yeah. you know, beautiful smell, and you just you just really want to be there. Yeah. Uh, so it, it is my it is really cool. Yeah, I have I have a distinct kind of memory of like. You know, like twelve years old pre-neutral mm. breakfasts. You know, <laughs> um, no, it's, it is your memory, your childhood memory of the best breakfast yeah, you ever had. Yeah, it's no, like, ah, sure. oh, mom, thanks, man. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know, the the process uh, obviously a little bit more complex than mm. just pouring water and stuff like that. Um, yeah. But very satisfying to see how mm. it works when you add the ingredients and mm. getting to taste the individual ingredients as well. Mm. I mean, I've never tasted. Tasted hops. Yeah, I've never put hops in my mouth. Mm. Not a good idea, by the way. Well, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't <laughs> recommend putting like <laughs> ruins it, your taste for no, the rest of the yeah, day. It, 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 but it's also in, very interesting to know that that's mm. what it tastes like, mm. and that's that's what it contributes to the mm. beer. And the method we used was extract with speciality grains. So we didn't we didn't make beer from scratch. We used extract, um, and we did a very small batch as well. And I mean, I wanted to maybe talk about that a little bit. 
because small batch brewing, I love small batch brewing. I love brewing five liters at a time. A lot of my uh, home brewers would kind of wonder why you would want to do that. Mm. In fact, I actually had the exact question last time I did a beer school, and I, I was it's teaching. Like, why bother? Yeah, people were like, why? I mean, I want to make 20 liters of beer yeah. at a time. Sure. I mean, volume is nice because then you have a lot of beer on hand. That's also the problem. Yeah. Because unless and you lots have a... lot of beer is better than not a lot of beer. Maybe it's just because I'm a deep introvert and I don't have any friends. <laughs> but I find it difficult to get rid of all that beer before it goes off. Um, and you know, not only that, but you, 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 as a home brewer, you kind of make a bit of a commitment when you make 20 liters of beer. You know, all the ingredients and everything, you're firstly hoping that it works out. And even mm. if it does... It's, it is still, I think, a bit of a commitment to the recipe. Yeah. And it's difficult to experiment 20 liters at a time. Yeah. So what I prefer is is to sort of do a, a five-liter experimentation with different ingredients and different mm. recipes. A lot of um, craft brewers do that as well. Mm. They, they brew very tiny quantities of beer. As part of the recipes, testing process. Just testing it. And, yeah. and it allows you to also vary. And that's the one thing I've always told people – when they ask me, how do I become better at brewing? Mm. It is to brew a lot of the same beer over and over again. Mm, consistently. But yeah. vary one ingredient mm. or vary one process and see what it does to the beer. Mm. That's one of the best ways to learn how to brew. Mm. And so with a five-liter batch, your commitment's low. It doesn't take very long to brew. So it's, it's still an hour or an hour and a half, but your cleanup is much quicker because everything's tiny. You can stick it in the, yeah. in the dishwasher. Um, and And you can... You can brew, and you can also brew multiple small batches at the same time. And that's another yeah. nice thing to do is you, you can brew a 20-liter batch, but then think about maybe splitting that batch and adding different tops into mm. the whirlpool on a 5-liter you know, yeah. subscale, for yeah. instance, or uh, doing a different fermentation profile. Well, th- that's what I was going to say is that uh, you know, in, in, in many ways your actual kind of condition is uh, is the fermentation you need room to mm. to to ferment the beer or, or store it or you know that kind of thing not so much to make it you can you can reuse the same stuff you can make five exactly. liters of this then directly after that make another five liters mm. and then another five liters but you do have to then look after it afterwards sure what i like about small batch brewing is it's the only brewing i've done as a home brewer which i can do in the afternoon after coming back from work for mm. instance because of this the small cleanup time mm. Where if I do a 20-liter batch, it feels like I have to spend the Saturday doing mm. that, um, which I enjoy. I enjoy being able to kind of brew beer after work. Yeah, yeah sure. That's quite cool. But I, it really is. It's a big, a, a big part of becoming a better brewer is to, is to vary your recipes one ingredient at a time. Mm. Too many times people kind of vary everything. So then they don't really know what went wrong the last time. Yeah. Was it the hops? Was it my yeah, sure. my hot process? Was it my cold process? Yeah, you need Was to it? make incremental changes, really. You do. That's how you learn to do anything. Yeah. Um, and especially given things like yeast, which have such a tremendous influence on the taste of beer, mm. it's pretty easy, actually, to split a 20-liter batch into 5-liter you know, quantities with small differences um, and add a different yeast into each one. Mm. So if you, if you split into five, my math tells me that's four, four batches, um, which means that you would have four different kinds of beer based on the yeast you've put in. Mm. And you can just experiment, you know, put a lager yeast in there, even if it's an ale, put a, a Belgian yeast into an American ale, put mm. an American yeast into a Belgian ale, and you'll see some interesting things happening. Yeah.
was going to say a, another part of the whole process that um, was quite interesting to me was um, the, the the kind of sterilization, sanit- mm. sanitary aspect of it. 70% of brewing is cleaning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, that quite that was quite literally true. Mm. You, you spent a lot of time cleaning, making sure, you know, services were disinfected, mm. uh, um, containers were disinfected, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, would, a, would someone trying out, you know, home brewing and, and putting together, like you said, maybe, mm. a, you know, a tiny small batch kind of stuff, would they, by necessity, need to follow the same kind of stringent stuff that you do in your kitchen? I, I, I'd recommend that because that's why I don't get a lot of off beer when I mm. make beer. And when I see other brewers, and I've watched a lot of people brew beer, at home or at a convention or whatever, um, it's it's a little bit scary <laughs> for me to watch that. You know, I <laughs> keep on wanting to, to intervene. It's like, are you sure you want to do that? Are you sure you're going to touch that thing like that? Are you sure you don't want to sterilize that? So, Does your penis have to be that close to the container? <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think it's a good idea. Um, unfortunately, a lot of homebrewers do. They, I think all homebrewers will, will reach a certain stage in their brewing where they become very frustrated and think about quitting the hobby. Hmm. Um, and m- m- much of that is often because they can't handle the fact that they've just spent, you know, a whole day brewing the beer, two weeks fermenting it, another two weeks bottle conditioning it. So that's a month mm. of investment. They open the beer, it tastes completely off. Tainted, yeah. That's very frustrating. Yeah. It's deeply frustrating. And even though you're not a craft brewer, which will then lose money when you dump that whole beer. That's a lot of time and still, effort. I mean, yeah. you were probably telling your friends, oh, you must taste this beer when it comes out and now you can't. It's very frustrating, and a lot of people get to that point of like, no, I've had it now, mm. you know. But sterilization is really the key. Mm. I've I've just seen too many shoddy practices with sterilization where homebrewers just think, ah, it's okay, you know, it's fine. It worked last time. See, the, the, the problem is that beer has a lot of natural barriers to infection. It's one of the great things about beer. It's one of the reasons why it's one of the most ancient beverages made. It has natural barriers to infection. It's It's boiled. So your boiling sterilizes the liquid. Um, hops has a barrier to microbacteria. And yeast, beer yeast is very effective at growing and outpacing other kinds of infections. There's lots of little barriers to, to infection. You will get often homebrewers who, who don't follow the right sterilization practices making good beer. Mm. Every now and again, mm. you will make a good beer. Because beer by nature wants to be good. And we all have stories, and sometimes it's nice to share those stories because sometimes also the, the, the converse of this is to become a little bit too paranoid about sterilization, you know, and like get too wrecked in anxiety. Because, I mean, it should still be fun. Yeah, right? yeah shouldn't you, be, <laughs> you shouldn't be making your beer in a clean room, you know, in a deep underground bunker. It shouldn't be like one of those movies where the guys are stuck in the middle of a minefield <laughs> and every step. Yeah. I hate those movies. There's always one movie like that. Yeah. You know, oh, what is the next step? Yeah, click. Close up on the foot. Yeah. Um, it shouldn't be like that. You know, I once completely left the beer way too long uh, before putting it in for manner. <laughs> Very long, in it, and it still worked out. I once, on reflex, uh, dipped my entire arm up to the elbow into the fermenter. Um, saw some of my arm hairs drifting around in the beer, closed the fermenter, prayed, like, and it came out fine. Uh-huh. We all have those cool stories, but the fact of the matter is if you want to be consistent in your brewing mm. practices, and if you... You want to be the, become the kind of home brewer who wins competitions consistently. You've got to really get better mm. at your sterilization processes. And you just have to make it super um, predictable, super mm. tight. It just eliminates that stress for you. Well, I, I think that's probably the, the takeaway is that it's not necessarily just a health and hygiene issue. 
it is a, a consistency, uh, you know, control mm. issue. It's about saying I can yes. I can control the environment enough to know that I'm doing mm. the same thing every time that I make this beer. Also, it, it is one of those things we've spoken of in the previous podcast episodes about training your palate, becoming better at recognizing all flavors mm. and recognizing what bad beer tastes like. I, I, they will remain unnamed, but I know a few homebrewers who have probably never made a non-infected batch of beer. <laughs> but because they, they just taste it and they think yeah. that's fine, yeah. they don't know it, yeah. right? If you, if you taste one of your infected beers versus one which you brewed properly, you'll really see a difference. And, and that's one of the ways you train your palate, you know, to recognize the difference. Yeah, sure. Small batch brewing is fun. I, I would recommend all homebrewers listening try, to try it out. You do need a bit of different equipment. I was going to say, can you like give us just a sure. real baseline? Yeah. What kind of what pots? What you know? What, what do we? Yeah. What do I need to put in my kitchen? Well, what's nice is your your spend is not going to be much on on cooking equipment as it is in large on ingredients. Bread. Yeah. So for a pot, I would recommend something like a nine liter stainless steel stock pot, which is easily obtained at most kitchen stores. Um, still helps if you've got gas. If you've got a gas oven, it's perfectly fine to put it on the stovetop. But even if you've got an electric oven, it still works. You don't need a high-pressure burner for that quantity of liquid to get a nice rolling boil. Um, if you're going to go full grain, you can use brew in a bag, which we'll probably talk about next time. In fact, we'll, we'll get you in the kitchen again, Matt, and we'll do brew in a bag next time. Okay. So that's full grain from scratch. Okay, yeah, not, not the prepackaged not kind the, of... Not the extract with specialized yeah. grains. Um, other things, then there are things which are really nice to have which you kind of eventually have to buy if you're going to do Wait, a are, are you saying that are you saying that the only fundamental thing that everyone mm. needs is a nice big pot yeah all right pretty much all right if you're doing extract speciality grains you need a big pot you need a, a, a muslin or a voile bag to put your speciality grains in mm-hmm. you don't even need a mill because you can buy your grains pre-milled or the nice thing about speciality grains is because they are stewed or roasted they're quite brittle, so you can actually just put them in a plastic bag and roll a rolling pin over them, and they'll mm, crack. Look, yeah. Um, there's very little you need with small brewing. So, so what are the what are the nice to haves? Nice to haves, which you eventually do want to purchase if you're going to do a lot of it, is so the one problem with small batch brewing is if you're brewing a five liter batch, right? You can't if you take 500 milliliters of that beer and put it in a test tube to do your um, your gravity reading with a hydrometer, which is kind of what you need. That's a significant portion of your beer you've just wasted. Yeah, that's that's a tenth of your it's, entire thing. It's a, and if you do multiple measurements, you're you're really losing beer. So that's the one problem with small batch brewing. And so the best way to counter that is to buy yourself a refractometer, which is this really cool little machine. It's not a machine. It's an instrument, which… It's magic. It's magic. It's, it, it, it's indistinguishable from magic. I know. It looks like a lightsaber. <laughs> that's why I like it. I immediately knew I had to have one. Um, and it, it uses the refraction of light. So you drop literally a few drops of the beer onto a faceplate. You look through the, the telescopic mm. kind of sight, and you see the gravity. And magic happens. It's amazing. I'm almost certain that what you've just described is exactly how a lightsaber actually works. I think it is, I'm yes. almost certain that you yes. put beer in it. Yes. And then Those through, crystals, man. Through the refraction, the refraction <laughs> of light, things happen. Yeah, so the refractometer is one of the first things you're probably going to want to buy if you do a lot of small batch brewing. They, they've they come down in price significantly, and you can get them at most homebrew stores. They probably, in South Africa, they will retail for about five to 600 rand. Okay. But they last forever if you take care of them. It is a scientific instrument, so you do have to take care of it. You can't just throw it around and... Leave it in a pot of beer. Yeah, I know you can't do that. But uh, it'll last you forever. 
The other kind of almost must-have is a gram scale. Mm-hmm. So that's a tiny little electronic scale. Yeah. The, the gram scale can measure a fraction of a gram. Yeah, it's like it's it's like a drug scale. You know, it's like in movies. I didn't want to go say that, <laughs> but if but, we, but we, the we, places you will buy gram scales from are very are often <laughs> staffed by very chilled out people who also might sell you a bong. I'm just saying. Yeah, it's just it's a coincidence. It's a, it's a complete coincidence. coincidence. <laughs> and and these Graham scales often have these really cool names like the Renegade, <laughs> the Rogue. I don't know why they call them those. No, it makes know. no sense. I don't get those references. Yeah, but they're great little scales to have, and it's, it's actually astonishing how accurate they are, they're or, or, very and, and how infinitesimally small those those readings. It's are. often because if you get those readings wrong in other contexts, you might end up being killed. Yes, you you, you find your toes <laughs> in a different country. That, that's important. Graham scales are important because your quantities are very tiny. Hops especially. You need gram scales yeah. for hops and your yeast. I, I, I remember how, you know, mm. measuring out pellet by pellet of, of that, uh, exactly. of the hops. You, you may kind of half a pellet. With a, with a non-hoppy beer, uh, like a blonde ale or something like that, you may only use two to three grams of hops. Yeah. That's very tiny. You can't, yeah. you can't measure that with a normal electronic scale, which yeah. is one gram increments. Yeah, and, you can't, and if you're lucky, that. Yeah, you can't go and stand on your bathroom scale. It's... That's going to give no. you an inaccurate reading. No, and it's actually useful to measure your yeast. That's the one thing I have noticed doing a lot of this is yeast, uh, dry yeast especially, come in, I think it's 11.5 gram packets, and you often use like 5 grams mm-hmm. of yeast. Actually useful to be able to, when you rehydrate your yeast with small batch brewing, to, to, to put the container with water onto the scale itself, then you know zero it, and then add yeast slowly until you get to mm. you know your three to five gram um, range, and then stop. You can you can reuse that yeast if you use it within the next couple of days. Um, but that's important because the one problem with small batch brewing is if you put eleven point five grams of yeast into a five liter batch. Now those eleven grams of yeast can act, can technically ferment up to maybe thirty liters of beer. So you've got a massive over pitching. Mm. And often in, in normal batch brewing, overpitching is hardly ever a problem. In fact, underpitching yeast is the most common problem in, in brewing when you brew 20 to 30 liter batches. Yeah. But overpitching becomes a problem in small batch brewing. The yeast is just you know too aggressively growing. There's way more yeast flavors than you need. It often you also get a lot of um, the sort of overflow. Your what's called the Krausen, which is the Krausen, the Krausen, the Krausen, <laughs> Krausen are invading. Oh no! Um, so the Krausen is like basically a name for the the foamy head of yeast build up as the beer ferments. You, you just made that word up now. You no, I promise just you, admit it, it exists. So and and that becomes way out of control. If you put it in a small container, it's going to pop the lid. It's going to make a big mess. It also risks infection then because then you now. Your, your fermenter is basically open to the air. You want to get your your yeast pitching right. And the gram scale will help you do that. Okay, so pot, muslin cloth, uh, thermometer, mm. uh, refractometer, a really, re- refractometer, a really a good scale. scale. That's you're, about you're it. Good to go. Good to go. Nice thing is, is both the refractometer and the gram scale, things will last you pretty much forever unless mm. you not really drop it or step on it. Mm, sure. I don't think it's, it's a massive investment in, in money. I think next time, if we have our new studio rig, we may be actually actually able to record some we'll, of that yeah, we'll, in action. We'll, we'll do a live show. We'll do a, a live brew. Hopefully not spilling any wort onto the equipment and thereby <laughs> destroying the podcast forever. 
Uh, it'll be a great way to go there. I, I like that idea. You you hit it here first. We're gonna have a. We'll call it live brew. Live. We're gonna brew. we're gonna make beer live. Live. Tell you the truth, I can get used to making all the same mistakes with you again and again. So baby, let's roll the bones and watch them lie where they fall in. The future's not mapped out for us. The here and now has arrived. This, as we said previously, is the lager show. What do you know about lager? Absolutely nothing. Mm. I, 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 look, for, for a long time, and I'm talking about, you know, like my formative 16 to 18 year old uh, kind of years. Those were formative. Those were formative, especially when it came to beer for me. Mm. But to be entirely honest, I honestly, I, I, it's almost as if I and probably a lot of people my age believe that lager was like the, the default, mm. the, the beer default. Like mm. when you make beer, you make lager. Unless you are actively trying to make something else, does that does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I mean that is what macro breweries have made for many years. It's the most, you know, most made beer by volume in the mm. world. And what's interesting is, yeah, you know, I, I remember distinctly in my formative, you know, sixteen to eighteen year period, I didn't know there were other kinds of beer. Yeah, absolutely. I thought, I thought lager was beer. Lager was beer, exactly. and I would say. A different beer would be a different brand of lager. Exactly. I, I, that's exactly what I mean. Where like lager was the default. L- lager is the the standard. And then if someone like Guinness, it was like, well, Guinness is like barely a beer. You know, mm. it's 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 something strange and foreign. Exactly. It's from those Irish. <laughs> yeah, Guinness was like weird. You know, it's dark, it's bitter. Yeah, malty and creamy simultaneously. Mm, weird. Um, you you were telling me about you know we're looking at this bottle in front of us and the word pulse is yeah as part saying, of the episode I thought it would be pretty cool is if we got a bunch of craft loggers and we we just went through them and and sort of saw which ones we liked mm. and how would we sort of put them in some sort of rank order so the first one we're trying today is Jack Black's Keller Pulse it's a it's a, a Keller beer it's a variant of lager. And Pilsner is also a variant of lager. Lager's got a, a lot of different substyles. So a Keller Pils is just a variant, 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 variant. It's sort of a variant, variant, sure. The, but the lager style in general would be something which is distinct, you know, distinctive from an ale category of beer or the hybrid beers, which are sort of in the middle. Yeah. And, and so generally people recognize that there are three main types of beer, and it's lager, hybrids, and ales. And lager are, lagers are distinguished by the fact that they are brewed with lager yeast. And mostly, lager yeast operates at a much lower temperature than ale yeast. That's always been its distinguishing feature. It used to be that they also used to make a distinction between bottom fermenting and top fermenting. So ale yeast used to be top fermenting, so the, the yeast doesn't actually drift down to the bottom of the, the fermenter. It ferm- does its fermentation on, on top, but it's not really true. Um, the lager yeasts are all bottom fermenting. They drift down to the bottom. Is that because of their weight? It's because of the temperature. Um, you know, they're not as active. Uh, okay. Right. Yeast, like any microorganism, will be less active in lower temperatures. In, yeah, sure. And because the yeasts of lagers tend to operate at lower temperatures, they drift down to the bottom. They, they you know, sort of flocculate. It's called flocculation. They flocculate down to the bottom of the fermenter. 
But nowadays, all yeast commercially used are high flocculation yeast because it makes it easier to harvest that yeast if it's at the bottom of the fermenter because it'll, it'll gather in the cone of a conical fermenter, which is mostly used in commercial brewing. And so you can tap out that yeast sure. before the beer you know, is tapped out. And commercially, it makes sense to be able to harvest your yeast and reuse it. Yeah. The bottom top fermenting thing doesn't really make sense that much anymore. Yeah. And you'll see if you're a homebrewer too, whether you're, you're fermenting an ale or a, a lager, your yeast will eventually gather to the bottom, also because of weight, obviously. Yeah. It drops out of suspension yeah, and, sure. and creates this cake of yeast at the bottom. Um, but the main distinguishing feature still would be the taste characteristics of lager yeast because they've obviously been cultivated in a different way and through different genetic strains mm. now and the temperature they're fermented at. Yeah. So traditional lagers, uh, we, we won't include here the, the sort of macro-brewed lagers, are also much slower beers to make. They take longer. Sure. Again, the temperature makes the yeast fermentation yeah. much yeah. less vigorous. And so it takes much longer. It's also then cold, you know, conditioned for longer periods of time. In fact, the word lager is a German derivative of storeroom or warehouse. And, and those storerooms or, or warehouses would be very cold. It's very cold, okay. so it's slow, steady fermentation. And when yeast is, is fermented at cold temperatures, it doesn't produce a lot of esters, a lot of fruity flavors. So it tends to be very clean, the flavor. Hmm. And that's what we expect from lagers. Lager, lagers yeah, aren't exactly. very fruity. It's be weird to taste a very fruity lager. It's usually a very clean taste, very crisp finish. That's why it's popular in hot countries, because you want that sort of crisp, refreshing, easy drinking. <laughs> he said it. He said it. <laughs> and he said it in, a, in, a, in an actual non-sarcastic way. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of the characteristics of lagers. It's got other difficult bits and pieces to work out if you're a homebrewer, for instance, because most homebrewers don't have very good temperature control available to them. And so to keep a fermenting vessel at, let's say, 14 degrees Celsius, which is a reasonable average temperature for lager yeast, is difficult. A lot of homebrewers, therefore, brew their lagers in winter because the ambient temperatures, sure. especially in, in Johannesburg or even in the Cape, I guess, would be around about that temperature. And so it's sort of funny that, in a way, we brew... As homebrewers, you often brew your most summery beer in winter. Yeah. Uh, obviously, commercial brewers don't have that limitation. They've got jacketed fermenters, which they can control the temperature of. And, um, and that's, that's sort of the, you know, the, the story of, of lager. Lager. Um, the beer that you have in front of you there, mm. um, my, my, my very first question about it is, in my experience, lagers are normally um, quite clear. clear. Mm. Um, is it is that a hallmark of the style? Yes. So Keller beer is a very traditional, old-fashioned style of German lager. I'm going to pour mine. Um, or European lagers, but it's kind of associated with Germany. And a Keller beer is usually pretty hazy because it's not filtered at all. So you've got yeast and suspension in a Keller beer. So yeah, this is the Jack Black Keller Pulls. And I have to say... It's delicious. It's really yummy. It's really delicious. Jack Black are killing it. Mm. Jack Black are really, really killing it. I was, I was um, when they came out their very first lager and they were yes. kind of hitting the marketing in Joburg mm, quite hard. They were. A bit, a bit more aggressively mm. than any other no, craft. saw the umbrellas everywhere. Yeah, I was kind of like, whoa, guys, slow down. You know, this isn't how we do things in the craft industry. <laughs> yeah. um, but Ooh. they are, they are lit, every beer that they bring out is just, is just top of the line. It's very it? difficult to fault them, you know. Yeah. And they started very small as a, as a contract brewer. You know, the, the guys were selling their beer you know, out of the back of their cars at, at markets and stuff in Cape Town. So they've hustled, eh? They've hustled, you know. They've worked hard. And they were contract brewed through 
um, Boston breweries in a, for a long time. Then they moved very briefly to CBC, and then they started. Now they've built their own big brewery, yeah, well, biggish brewery. It's also a, a brew pub kind of thing. They've they've just um, hired a new master brewer from Germany, a young chap, which I met the other day at a conference. Lovely guy, young guy. He's got interesting ideas. I think we'll see a lot of um, German you, style would beers. Would you call him dynamic? From, he may be dynamic. <laughs> He's creating synergies. He's creating synergy. There's a lot of blue sky thinking happening down at Jack. Lots of blue sky. He's addressing their burning platforms. Oh, fantastic. Someone has to. Going forward. Going forward. What's their go forward strategy? <laughs> um, but I love it. I mean, this is a very, very nice beer. Um, I mean, like you said, the hallmarks of this is. The crispness, it's it's it is it still icy, has that you know? crispiness, yeah. It it it's it, it tastes like a glacier, you know. Mm. It's it's beautiful there. What do you think of the label, by the way? Um We we've established ourselves as highly opinionated yes. label yeah, snobs. That's true. Yeah. Um Jack Black's branding is quite middle of the road to me. Mm. Uh the labels, the um I the think maybe when it came like out that. it was a bit edgy because no label looked like that. You know, it wasn't the traditional traditional it doesn't have no, but it doesn't have the scroll and the five yeah. hops plants. You know, it doesn't yeah, have that. Sure, sure, it doesn't have that. It's mm. yeah, it's it's it, it's taken the other route that uh, of the two routes that craft beer marketing often goes, mm. which is the kind of edgy and bold rather mm. than you know mm. hopsy and sure. pastoral. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's nothing um, overtly ob- mm. objectionable about the branding. There seems to be a new uh, direction they've taken with their branding now, where it's the silver label. It, it, yeah, I remember it being more of a kind of parchment label before. Mm. And and they've got uh, a central graphic now. So the catapults is a barrel, which I guess makes sense. Yeah. Um, also, the, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about Pilsners because this is this says it's a Keller Pils. I think I think that was my question that mm. I actually wanted to kick off this entire discussion about, which well, was you telling me that a Pils and a, a Lager are the same thing. It's a subcategory of Lager. The actual Pilsner style actually comes from the Czech Republic, and it's very associated with Eastern European Lagers. And the most famous of that would be Pilsner Ukrol, mm. which is one of the very probably the first Pilsner ever made. And they made it in these catacomb-like caves in square concrete fermenters, um, open fermentation. Mm. It's amazing. Mm. They still brew it like that, only to test. They have mm. modern a modern brewery there now. Because they but no longer want swathes of dead people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's difficult to get volume out of those fermenters. But they still brew their fermenters underneath. And, and the master brewer will always taste and compare... The taste of the traditionally bull, brewed Pilsner Urquell with against the, the new technology. And Pilsner basically is known for a lot of the different hop varieties. I mean, the Czech Republic's hop varieties are very distinctive. Um, it's often the SARS hop. And SARS has a very spicy, honeyed flavor as a hop. It's a very distinctive flavor. And, and so Pilsner has that sort of honeyed Spicy, often very hoppy. It's it's a more hoppy kind of lager as yeah. well, um, and that's what. A, and there's different, you know, kinds of now Eastern European substyles of beer in the new BJCP guidelines. But that's essentially what a pilsner is. It's yeah. a it's an East European style of beer. You you do to in, call in it a pilsner, you lager. almost certainly have to have SARS in it. It doesn't have to be the only hop, but it tends to then also be a more bitter, more hoppy style of yeah. lager. This is interesting that Jack Black has sort of combined the German. Traditional Keller beer with a Pilsner style, and you can sort of taste that honeyed flavor a little bit. 
I'm not sure if I'm making that up. Can I? Yeah, maybe. Mm, yeah, maybe. Back in. Yeah, maybe a little, mm. a little touch. I still think they size yeah. up here. So I'll obviously be very embarrassed if they don't have any size in this. Yeah. But I doubt it. I, I can taste. Mm. And and size is used for other beers as well. It's a common um, hop to use in Belgian beers as well. Uh, you don't use a lot of it. And you often use aged size hop to make it even more mellow. But it's just it gives you that slightly spiciness, which you often see in a in addition, obviously, to the spiciness sure. imparted by the yeast in a Belgian beer. Okay. So that's the Pilsner thing. Shall we? <laughs> shall we? Shall we get to the next one? <laughs> shall we? Now we're moving on to yet another style of lager, which most people are not familiar with. I, I literally have never seen a beer, mm. well, a lager that looks like this. So this is not clear at all. Again, hazy, yeah. but it's the color. It's an amber color. Car- caramelly. Mm, a deep amber. It's almost, I wouldn't say it's opaque, but it's certainly not clear. No. Well, this is an interesting brewery because it is technically South African in the sense that it, it's, it was started by South Africans. They have a South African sort of outlet in Cape Town, but it is brewed in Bavaria, and it's Brewers and Union. We all know them very well. They're another yeah. one of those find-everywhere yeah. beers. Very strong brand. Very strong. I love their brand, actually. It's so nice and minimalistic. Yeah. I love that the foil. Yeah. foil still gets me, man. Yeah. I love the foil. Yeah. Um, and what's interesting about Brewers and Union is that when they started – now, now they bring out almost all styles of beer. They've got wheat beers. They've got ales. They, have a, they actually have a very wide range. Very wide range. I'm sure but they've they, got like 30 beers. Mm, but they started out, and I thought that was kind of clever. So I, I have no evidences to back this up. But it seems almost from an observer's point of view, what they did is they went, okay, so we're starting a craft beer company. We're going to mostly distribute in, in South Africa. And South Africans know lager. It's the thing we spoke of earlier. Let's make every single style of lager not known <laughs> yeah. to anyone. Yeah. And so they really went into obscure sub-styles of lager. I, I remember their first one was their unfiltered lager. I remember the unfiltered without mm. an eye. And unfiltered lager was a new thing for us. That's essentially like a killer beer. Yeah. Then they brought out this one, which we're having now, which is the amber, the burn. It was first called burn, and now it's Bernstein. I'm not really sure what that means, to be quite honest. I'm not very good with my German. Uh, but they change it from Bern to Bernstein. I'm not sure why. And this is – so I'm not too sure. It was difficult for me to find out even from their website what's technical what style the is, style is. It. But it, it's one of two, really. It's either a Vienna lager, um, which is tends to be this color. It tends to have much more roasty, caramelly flavors. Or I suspect it's probably more likely to be a Marzen. And a Marzen style of, of lager also has this caramelly flavors. You're putting mm. caramel um, – barley and the more you know your more stewed kiln barleys into the beer it tends to be also unfiltered which we we see is is true for this one um, although i have to say most of brewers and unions beers are unfiltered and what's interesting also is you'll see here it's unpasteurized which louis pasteur wouldn't like yeah he's rolling in his grave yeah it's unfiltered and they really do 
take quite a bit of time with this beer. It's made in the traditional old-fashioned lager way, which is a long fermentation period, um, and it's eight weeks. Again, because of the cold. Mm, that's a long time for a commercial brewer to no, ferment a beer. Um, eight weeks is a long time. Uh, you mentioned Marzen. Didn't SAB have a, a Marzen? Was Again, it a, no. It wasn't it, a real Marzen. It, but it had the name Marzen. It was the name. It had all the hallmarks of a Marzen without actually being one. I think SAB became very skilled along its life cycle to buy the names of beers. <laughs> and I think in the convoluted world of commercial brewing, that was the thing. You could buy the name of a beer. Um, I believe that actually they bought Carling Black Label from a Canadian brewer um, and brought it here. Um, they brought the Hansa Pilsner brand mm. to South Africa. It's not a real Pilsner. Without, without making it an actual Pilsner. It's not a real Pilsner sure. at all. In, in no way, shape, or form is that a Pilsner. Okay, so I would not have tasted a Marzen before, mm. I'm going to guess. Yeah, so let us, let, give us your unadulterated. And for the listeners who don't have the video feed, no, no one does. <laughs> For those of you who haven't purchased Podcast Gold <laughs> yeah. membership yet. Which you should. <laughs> For the low, low price of $500. $500 sounds good. A day. That's legitimate. Um, you can have it. Yeah, and you can see Marcel in his basic. <laughs> and that's something to behold, I promise you. Yeah. Matt's having his um, Vienna slash Marzen lager from an actual Pilsner glass. From a Pilsner Urquell glass. It has Pilsner Urquell on the side. And Pilsner glasses are, they, they tend to be sort of, I wouldn't say trumpet shaped. Maybe they are. I don't know. But they're kind of a cool shape. What do you think, man? Oh, that's a very unexpected taste for a beer that looks like that. Mm. It's, a very, it's a very crisp, lagery taste. Still has to be a lager. Um, for Less something carbonated. that looks like caramel. Less carbonated? Y- yes, a little mm. bit less carbonated. Um, it, uh, a little bit sweeter uh, aroma. Mm. Uh, slightly sweeter, slightly. There's hints of toffee almost more than caramel for me. And you know what? On, on second and third sip, that does translate a little bit into, mm. into the taste as well. It kind of builds up. The first taste is caramel all the way. Mm. I, I would say the big difference here is there's a, a creaminess to this that I mm. didn't really taste in the, in the, more, in the kind of normal yeah. lagers, you know? Yeah, and, and obviously because it's unfiltered, there is some yeast in suspension there. So it's got a bit more of a mm. bready, yeah. yeasty flavor. But I dig it. I mean, this is nice, one of nice, my yeah. favorites from Brewers and Union. I tend to return to the burn a lot. Burn. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, really nice. So now uh, if we had to now start putting these things in order, would you say the burn is in front or behind the Jack Black um, Keller Pulls? I would say the Jack Black is still my favorite, mm. probably only because it's uh, what I expect out of a lager. Um, there's a there's a little bit more in the mm. you know in mm. the burn, yeah, um, than what I would normally deal with. It is it it, it's, it is a nice beer, um, but if we're talking first and second at this point, the yeah. Jack Black is is in the lead. No, for sure, I, I agree. I mean, the Jack Black just has a little bit more flavor to me, a little more kick. Um, there's something interesting about the burn, which I, I've noticed with a lot of the Brews and Union beers, and I, I'm not sure. I've got some theories, but they they sometimes have a bit of a. So I, I don't want to say this to put people off because it's not that bad, but it it's got a bit of a dusty aftertaste to me. There's a, it's very very crisp, but slightly dusty, mm. and not in a really bad way, because some beers have a really bad dusty but, but, flavor, but in an obvious way. Yeah. It's it's strange. I almost kind of know what you're talking about. Mm. Um, mm. I've I've had a couple of brewers and unions, um, and weird enough, they often leave me more thirsty. 
Yeah, they, they finish much drier than yeah. your average lager. And I, look, I love dry beers. This one, though, doesn't have quite the dryness I enjoy. But again, I, mm. the nice thing about Brewers and Union is I very rarely, if ever, had an off Brewers and Union. Mm. And, and I like that because I don't like wasting my money, you know. <laughs> I don't have infinite quantities of it. Also, so speaking what, about movies, man. Yes, speaking about yeah. movies. Um, so one of the movie. objectives of the show was also to look back at 2016. Now, it would have been much more effective if we had been doing this in January. But in <laughs> no, the interest of not, not of giving a fuck. 2017. I'm, I'm just going to institute a retrospective on 2016 anyway, since this is our first show of 2017. Can, can you remember 2016? I mean, let's be honest. I'm trying today. to forget it. Can you, do, you, do you remember anything It's like that, that scene except... in Predator, man. <laughs> do you remember Afghanistan? I'm trying to forget it. <laughs> Besides the obvious horror mm. uh, of, of a lot of things that happened last oh, year. That was a shit year. Um, do mm. you... Do, w- what were your what what would your question be in terms of making up things that you liked or didn't like about last year? You know, I'm kind of I have a confession to make. I am an inveterate addict of any list in on the. I am the guy who goes for the clickbait. You, you I, must you must love cracked. Oh, cracked is brilliant. Um, any list, any draft type show where you you grade a top ten of anything. Mm. I just, mm. I'm just totally addicted to. So I, so in the interest of serving my addiction. Mm. I feel that we should do the same. Okay. Making lists. Well, not lists, because we don't have time for that. But I, w- I would like to know a bit more about what you thought was the best and the worst of 2016. And, and I've, got a, I've got a few ideas here, which I've written okay. down. Okay. Let's hear them. Let's so let's start with... Because I am highly opinionated. I know. You, you know that. I know. So, Matt, given that we're also a show about geeky stuff, yeah. what was your best geeky movie where you just geeked out completely and had a little mini geek orgasm? Of 2016, I, I think you you'll probably know how I felt about Rogue One. Mm. I think I phoned you. I w- that would have been my guess. Actually. Yeah, I phoned you on my way out of the mm. cinema. Um, I have a. a I think a, you were speaking in tongues. I, I didn't I was, understand any I was of it. Babbling. I was mm. cr- I was crying inconsolably. Mm. I, I my father and I have have now you know kind of rekindled um, our uh, uh, what we. You know, I hope we'll do every year with with each new Star Wars release, mm. which is to go and you know see it together. Yeah. Since he was the one who you know first took me to see Same you know, here. Empire and, sure. and and that. That's how old we are. We saw Empire in the movies, yeah, children. Yeah. I, I mean, I was a tiny little mm. child, but I did see, I did see it, and um, and I walked out of 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 Rogue One mm. feeling like an absolute child. I was giddy. <laughs> I was yeah, crying, yeah. I, I like memories, hormones. Mm. I was, it was, I was, a, it, I was fucked up. It was mm. horrible. Um, it was a beautiful film. Sounds painful. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went, can't imagine why you have such positive <laughs> memories, dude. I, I went through puberty three times while watching that film. <laughs> I, I learned how to shave. Um, it, it was, a, it was a stunning film. It, I, I know it's not a perfect film. Mm. None, none of these kind of. Sequel, you know. You don't have to apologize for Rogue One, man. No, I, 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 there are enough people on there already doing that. <laughs> you know, no, I, I feel I do have to kind yeah. of do that because, you know, I immediately said to you, Marcel, you have to mm, go and watch this. Mm. You have to go and watch this. It, you know, it's, you know, you thought Force Awakens was good. Now go watch Rogue One. Sure. Um, and I do get a lot of why some people are like, yeah, it was okay. Mm, it was okay, mm, you know. Mm. Um, I think one of the things that Disney's doing very, very well with these sequels. Is that there, and and 
something that a lot of people are quite conscious of is that they are latching onto the nostalgia of those people. Yeah. And I think some people are able to look at it and mm. go, hang on, Disney, I can see what you're doing. Yeah, I'm seeing the zipper in the monster suit. There. Exactly. I, I know mm. what you're doing. and You can't mm. fuck me like that. And then there's people like me that go, oh, fuck it. I know, I know yeah. you're doing it and I love it anyway. Make sweet, sweet love. Yeah. It's, you know, like a domestic abuse situation. It's like, <laughs> I don't want you it became to. very dark. <laughs> no, it's like, I, 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 I can, I, you know, I don't, mm. I want you to stop, but I also don't. No, I get it. And then, I mean, you and I have spoken a little bit about Rogue One and my somewhat mixed reaction to it. I'm coming around, though. Are you really? Mm. I feel like I've only watched it once. So yeah, I'd like you to see it again. On second really watching, I'm probably going to enjoy it much much better. I, I think, mm. above all else, beside it being a Star Wars film, is mm. that it's actually an exceptional war film. And I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of war films as well. I think maybe you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, because... If if I didn't know anything about Star Wars and this mm. was my very first Star Wars movie I've ever seen, you have probably I, a very you're right. Idea I would, I would have Star cast it on uh, into a sort of a war film mm. genre, yeah. a sci-fi war film, and then it actually takes a lot of boxes because yeah. it's quite dark. Yeah. It doesn't have a happy ending. Spoiler. Yeah. <laughs> um, spoiler alert. And it has a mixed ending, like most good war films do. Yes. Um, yeah. It's, and it's, and not it's all dark, and it's it's yeah. war. It's grim. It's like yeah. we're Desperate year, you know. I, I, what I what I liked about it, and and carrying on on that exact same theme, is the fact that I think that Rogue One was really the first time out of all the Star Wars films that I felt the consequences of the galactic conflict. Yes, um, it made it quite mm. obvious that there are people dying. Yeah, and, and they're grim. dying all the time. The you one know, thing I really it's not Warhammer grim, but it is yeah. it is grim. No, nothing will be as grim as Warhammer. <laughs> it is in the grim future mm. of Hello Kitty. There is only war. It's what is interesting to me, and what I enjoyed about it is, I mean, here's now real nerd oh, deep, deep guts. Yeah, yeah. Now we're here's about a deep see cut. what's going on here. But it, it actually made me think of all the good times I had playing Star Wars, the role playing game. Yeah, yeah. Um, in high school, the West End version, which I still think is the uh, best one. Yeah. And because there they, they expanded the universe and like any war, you would expect there to be intelligence stuff going on, yeah. special forces stuff going on behind enemy lines, you know. And they reveal that in Rogue One where not everything the rebellion does is completely okay. Yeah. There's some dark shit going on. Sure. Here. People are being killed and assassinated and 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 betrayed and double crossed. And and what us the viewers have been seeing and watching mm. for the last, you know, thirty years is a highlights reel. Mm. You know? What's actually been going on and that's what I really loved about mm. Rogue One is it got it, it took a, a tiny little piece of what happened in yeah. the history of So zoomed in. And zoomed in on that and it mm. literally takes place, you know, 30, 30 seconds before you see Leia for the first time in the first movie. It's, I, I, I loved it very, very yeah. much. I, I enjoy, it's not my best movie of 2016, but, but there were so many moments it's... where I enjoyed it. I mean, actually, you know what was my favorite moment in that whole movie? Yeah. It's going to sound silly. No, sir. was the fact that they cut the old dudes from, from New Hope in the X-Wings. Oh, yes. I just love yes. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Especially that it, one guy with a very southern accent. Like, yeah, roll did you did you notice? Oh, kick ourselves some butt. <laughs> um, I'd also just like to give a like a big thumbs up to another massive nerd out movie, uh, which would be Deadpool. Which I know it was at the very beginning of last year. Yeah, it squeaked in there in twenty sixteen. Um, yeah, but it really um, it is a, a pleasure to finally see that character done justice uh, on film. Yeah, uh, and I'm looking forward to the second one. I uh, I don't have. A lot of hope because Hollywood sequels are normally shit. Yeah. 
Mm. Um, but in general, I like what they've done with the character. No, and I think it's fun. very, very cool. I enjoyed that movie a lot. So, so your what, give us give us your number one. My number one was kind of easy for me. It, it, it's definitely the arrival. And I have heard nothing but excellent mm. things about that movie, and I still haven't seen yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was like several heads and shoulders above the rest. Yeah. Um, Arrival would be on my top five of all time sci-fi. Man, movies. that is high praise, dude. It's a it's an incredible movie, and on so many levels. I mean, there's subtle parts, there beautiful parts, there's scary parts. Mm. Um, good acting all around. Um, you've got interestingly enough. Um, Two actors, one actor in common between Rogue and uh, Rogue One and Arrival is Forrest Whitaker. The Arrival was just an incredible movie, and, yeah. and it made me so. Shortly after watching that, I, I saw a blog. I, I really don't remember who, whose blog it was. Sorry, but this person made the argument, which I now really totally buy into. Once I've seen the Arrival, uh, is that short stories make good movies, mm. and novels make good television series. Mm. Mm. And that's exactly I what like the, that, the yeah. arrival is a short story. It was a Chinese author actually who yeah. wrote it, and it is. It, it's tiny in a sense because you don't feel the. Uh, if if this were a Hollywood like mass, you know, Michael Bay production of the arrival, <laughs> there would have been fucking explosions. There would have been shit. Eiffel towers collapsing yeah. and shit like that, and it would have it would have taken the big world stage as its main platform. Yeah. But because this was a short story and done with a very uh, European almost sensibility. It was a tiny movie. It was just about these people who had to deal with these aliens. Yeah, and that made it so much better. Yeah, it was an incredible yeah, movie. I mean, very personal. It stays with you. There are scenes there which stay with you. It's still for me one of the very best treatments of uh, again alien spoiler. Contact. Alien contact, but also time issues. Mm. Let's just say there are yeah, issues be, with time. Let's be careful. Issues with time myself. happen in this movie. I, I need to. I still need to watch this film. Yeah, I know, but if I say that, it won't bother you. But it really is one of, and and also in a way, it's not actually. And, and I like movies which sometimes don't have a twist in the end where you go, oh, now yeah. it makes sense. Sometimes you like you like to see the denouement coming from a, wa- hmm. a, a way off and go, yeah. that would be a satisfying. But thing. not only that, because but then you realize that the director isn't relying on the twist. To yeah. make the movie successful. Sure, sure. You know, so Sixteenth. The, the Shyamalan. Yeah, and yeah. Sixteenth is a great movie. Let's mm. not let's not uh, detract from it. But in a way, Sixteenth is all about the twist at the end, mm. right? Spoiler alert: If you haven't yet seen it, <laughs> Bruce yeah. Willis is a dead guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, um, yeah. If you haven't seen Sixteenth mm. by now, it's you're, you're, you're well. You you don't have to see it anymore because I just told <laughs> yeah. you what the movie was yeah. about. But that's all about him being the dead guy. Yeah, and and I I can't even. I've never. I think I've seen Six Sense maybe twice. I can't see it again. It's like yeah. I've now seen it. Yeah, we, I get it. Weird enough, I, I've always felt that um, Shyamalan's most successful film was The Village, and that really? was yeah. My that, favorite one of his is Unbreakable. I, I, my favorite is Unbreakable, mm. but I don't think Unbreakable is as good a film oh, as right. The Village. I've never seen The Village. It's it, it, it's 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 well put together. It's very well shot. Mm. It's quite beautifully shot, in fact. Um, but the the reason I like The Village and why I can rewatch The Village mm. is because the first time I saw it. I knew what the twist was going to be. Right. It, it's, it's quite an obvious kind of foreshadowing that happens a lot of the way through the film. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't rely on the twist. What it relies on is the character's response to the twist. Mm. So watching them go through the realization of the twist mm. makes all the difference. Mm. And I quite like that. Um, I think Signs was quite similar as well. Um, 
the, the I've got a I've got an embarrassing confession to make about signs, which is scared the shit out of me. It's terrifying. I don't like. It's that terrifying. Movie. Halfway through that film, my my better aunt scary. laughs her head off at me being scared at this movie. She uh, thinks it's so hokey. She laughs at it. She she's uncontrollably not, laughing throughout the entire movie, and I am <laughs> shitting myself. I'm not going to judge you because I actually think that. There are parts of signs that are astonishingly I scary. can't watch that movie, man. It, it, yeah, when he holds the baby monitor up in the sky, and it's it's making I don't a even remember that chittering noise. Dude, I was terrified when they saw that when they watched you know do that footage of CNN with of the, the thing going past yeah, the alley. Yeah, that's how wuss I am. Anyway, so my runner-up for best geek movie would have would be probably also Deadpool. Deadpool, yeah. I, I dug that movie. Um, okay, so yeah, okay. let's go to the opposite. What was your most disappointing movie of 2016, man? Uh, the, we the, just thought I've just wasted two hours of my life which I can never get back the, the, uh, I'm very fortunate in that I have not seen uh, Batman versus Superman <laughs> yeah I've not seen it either <laughs> I suspect if we had that would be, that on, would our be on our list that would be on our list yeah um, I also haven't seen Suicide Squad nor which, am I which I yeah. also you know I, mm. I heard nothing but expectation from. I'm I'm happy that I'm not in the business of being a movie reviewer yeah because I, I think I've kind of, I think you're the same. I think I've be- become pretty good at honing my ability to see when a bad movie is going to happen. Yeah, you kind of and see it I coming. Kind of avoid like, it. Uh, mm. Yeah. So, so what I'm, I'm going to, I'll choose a kind of unconventional answer because right. this is something that has been 22 years in the making. Oh. Was uh, the Independence Day? Sequel. Right. I did not see that yet. I, I, w- I had high hopes for that. I, so did I, because oh I liked the first one. God, it I actually just... recently rewatched the first one yeah. and enjoyed it you, yet again. You can watch it. I, I'm, it, I think I've Jeff watched Gold it about Bloom, 50 dude. times. I mean, and, and, and he's and he's back for the sequel mm, mm. and just wasted, just no, absolutely that's wasted. Sad. So, because so th- I even thought the trailer didn't look too bad. The trailer didn't look too bad, and and didn't I mean, have any of the giveaways of a bad movie trailer. No, it. it <sighs> It, it was just in the film itself where you realize mm. that they don't have something like plot or <laughs> charisma. <laughs> those, or those essential components. The essential components of like, mm. you know, pacing. Mm. So, so that, yeah, I'm it, disappointed to hear that. Yeah, it's very, very sad. And, and my runner-up is going to be... Um, it's, can you geek out about Zoolander? Can we geek out, geek out yeah, about Zoolander? Well, you know, I, I think there's another show in the making is the definition of what a geek really is. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm pretty sure if it, if it didn't creates an entire industry of catchphrases, it has to be like semi-geeky, right? Mm. So Zoolander 2 to me was quite disappointing. Right. Um, in the, much the same way that Anchorman 2 was disappointing. Right. Because it, it, it took mm. a beautiful thing and then Some of those movies it. just cannot be made no. a sequel of. No. You know, it's not proper English grammar, I'm sure. No. My most disappointing movie, I, I'm, I hope that my memory is not fading to the point of senility because I think I, I watched this movie in 2016, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. And that was the, the Mad Max movie. Was that 2016? Mad Max Fury Road? Yeah. It was, I think, December 2015, actually. Ah, well, I'm still going to yeah, argue it- that I could have conceivably watched it in 2016 at some weird cinema where they were behind the time. I honestly can't believe you're saying this. I, yeah. And I, this, you, but remember, this is not the worst movie. It's the most disappointing movie for me. Yeah. Okay. Because I love Mad Max. Okay. But explain yourself. Let's hear, let's hear your rationale. I told, I told you this before, man. Yeah, but we're now on a podcast where you I haven't know, told everybody out there. It's, it was just what's your, substan- what's your style over substance to the nth degree. I mean, nothing in that movie to me made any sense whatsoever. I mean, there was no world building going on there. There was just no logical consistency in that movie. Do, it was do you know where the world building single, was? 
every single thing which happened in that movie for me was, wouldn't this look cool if? Do you, do you want to know where the world building was? Please don't. It was called Mad Max 1, 2, and no, 3. No, I don't agree with you. I watched those movies. I didn't see anything leading up to it. It, it was just ridiculous. I mean, yeah, it would be cool if we got a guy with a flamethrowing guitar on a truck. <laughs> okay. It made no Th- sense. That, that part was strange. The acting but, was subpar. But, but it was sub-bar. cool. It was cool. Acting was not subpar. The, the, the guy who was Mad Max was like grunting into the microphone. He, Mad Max. That man phoned that. I mean, look, Charlize Theron was, again, as always, as far as I'm concerned, bloody good in everything she does. And, and she's one of those people who can elevate a really bad role into something cinematic. But I can't remember the, the lead actor's name. What's his name? You know names of actors. Oh, Very bad. Uh, uh, Tom Hardy. Hardy. Tom Hardy phoned it in, man. He phoned that one in. I, I think that you are essentially misconstruing the Mad Max character. And I think that might be down to Mel Gibson as an actor versus Mad Max as a character. Maybe. I, look, I, I just think there were some I, serious I world building you, issues which I didn't enjoy. I invite you to look mm. at Mad Max in the context of Mad Max being the canvas, the character being mm. the canvas across which violence happens. But that even the violence to me was not as good because it was spellbinding. No, it was death ballet. No, it was it, it was like I'm, watching. I remember watching Road Warrior the, in the last right. bison being slaughtered. It Road, was, no, it was, it was it was horrific and beautiful simultaneously. Road Warrior to me was edgy. When I watched Road God, Warrior for edgy. the first time, really, I remember it, it looked real. Road Warrior to me looked real, and it seems like I thought like actual people died in the making of this movie. It was that edgy. In Mad Max Fury Road, it was like okay, this is a very well choreographed version of Road Warrior. But I'm not at all ever feeling that tension. And I never felt like, oh, no, I wonder what happened here. <laughs> I never felt that. I, I, I'm concerned that perhaps that you have some kind of uh, aneurysm or, or, <laughs> or, or a tumor on the brain that is preventing you Maybe from, so. from experiencing joy. Anyway, so that was my most disappointing I, I, I think you, have li- you literally have the first and only negative review of Mad Max Fury Road. Besides that no, one, I, that, I've that got one some critic. kindred spirits. Uh, okay. A lot of people have talked about the style over substance. Uh, anyway. Okay. All right. Moving so on. we'll agree to disagree on that one. Moving on. Maybe you should have another lager. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's actually a fantastic idea because this one has gone down quite nicely. Moving right along. Moving right Moving along. Moving right along. Let's have another Jack Black. Okay. And I thought it would be kind of cool to have two different kinds of Jack Black Shit. lager. We're, uh, you know what? I, I, I'm sure people must think that we're sponsored by Jack Black. No, we're not. If only we <laughs> but were. If, yes. <laughs> this one is the, is the other Jack Black lager, which is the Brewer's Lager. Now, I think this is the original one. It's, see, now this again, this is a much clearer, mm. more filtered. Yeah, this is a typical filtered... Can I see the bottle there. Just a, mm. Mm. Nice. Uh, bitter. Yeah. Bitter. A lot of caramel on the nose. Mm. It's a bit sweet. Mm. And I think that's partly, you know, part of the style that, that there's some residual sweetness which which creeps into the beer. Now, Jack Black doesn't have any corn in, in this one. It's mostly, it's just barley. Which is strange because it almost smells like there's corn in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, very slight, maybe DMSE kind of stuff going on here, uh, which in some styles of lager is in fact not a flaw, it turns out. So that's slightly, 
uh, corn-like flavor. Cooked mm. corn is not a f- flaw in some lagers. It's actually quite a satisfying aroma. Mm. You know, it doesn't it doesn't taste off. It, it, mm. it doesn't it doesn't smell off. No, it's not like a pile of rotting vegetables no. or anything. No, but yeah, mm. very clean. Um, again, it's a very clean lager. It, it doesn't have any sulfuric components in it. Mm. It 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 disappears off your tongue almost immediately, but it still has some flavor. No, this is a, you know again, it's a very well put together beer. Yeah. Now, for me, if I had to now put it in the rank order here, I would put it behind the burn. Yes, I would put this third. So this is third. Yeah. So so the next question, and this is something that we were debating mm. earlier this morning, is that I've brought in our imaginary lagers yes. from our macro brewing <laughs> facility. Another mess up for this episode in 2017 <laughs> is that we forgot to bring some macro brewing Well, lagers. no, no, no. We didn't forget. The mm. irony of this Literally entire situation is that we don't have any mass-produced macro lagers. We just... In our fridges. In our fridges at home. No, it is kind of... I feel semi-proud of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's very strange for me because I normally have literally anything. I know. I usually laugh uncontrollably whenever I open your fridge. <laughs> well, because it's usually just breast, <laughs> breast milk and, and mass-produced yeah. parcel Let's not go into why you have breast milk. <laughs> yeah, I don't even have a baby. I'm not yeah. married. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so so I'm, I'm, I'm going to trot out these imaginary mm. lagers one by sure. one. And you're going to give me... Mm. Your pros and cons. Okay, that's a good one. So I'm Go. gonna uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with um, what is apparently the most awarded beer in South Africa, which mm. is Carling Black Label. Right. Where would you rate that on our on our scale, and why is mm. it a bad beer, and why and mm. what 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 things make it possibly mm. good? I'd I'd put Carling at the bottom right now um, because it is too sweet. It is too boozy. It's got too much DMS flavors in it, which I know that in a way they seek that out. But I enjoyed it a lot as a student, as most <laughs> of us did. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trotting out old favorite, mm. Castle Lager. Mm. Charles Glass. Castle for me is one of, uh, one of my least favorite beers because it has obvious corn flavor. There's so much corn in there. It's got lots of DMS. It's very sweet. Almost no hop characteristic in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, Castle is R- like R- your R- typical R- macro brewed yeah, the, American the, the premium Bud, lager, Budweiser, Pabst, Blue Ribbon. For me, the only thing which is different from, from, a, from a Pabst or a Budweiser is slightly less carbonated. Makes it a little bit more palatable. Then, in any redeeming qualities about award-winning Charles Glass? No. Nothing? No. Right, let's move on to what mm. you know is my... <laughs> my favorite beer. Oh, good lord. My favorite, yeah, yeah, favorite yeah. beer. Um, Castle Light. Undrinkable piss. Like, where does this go on the scale mm. between Black Label, Castle, and Castle Light? At the very bottom. Like, literally below Castle. Yes. Unbelievable. I, I find it to be undrinkable. I It's often skunked because it's in a green glass uh, bottle. So it's got that skunky UV off flavor. It's got a real urinal type of flavor to me. Uh, um. Okay, so that's macro brewed beer. I mean, Matt, yeah. I haven't asked you anything. Yeah. Well, you've asked me lots of things. Just yeah. nothing. Well, I know you like Castle Light. I, I like Castle Light because it is totally, totally unchallenging. It is. It, it it's might like it, wet air. It, it, yeah, it might be. Sometimes <laughs> you just want wet air, you know. I really don't. In, I, what I don't enjoy about the African craft beer, the scene is. There's a lot of like affinity towards macro brewed beer here. Because <laughs> what, like, like, like inclusionary. 
Yeah, and it's like, you know, and SA Brewery sponsors one of the two craft beer competitions out there. Mm. And it's they in their strategy. They have their own craft breweries. Uh, so they say. and But they have a vested interest in it. Their strategy is to eliminate wine out of the market and, and yeah. Yeah, know, they've been improve about the that beer strategy, market. Yeah. So that's why they invest in it. But and as I far think, as they're concerned, everyone wins, you know, in that strategy. Sure, and I, and I think a lot of the South African craft beer people have have sort of become very you know, nervously affiliated with the macro brew scene. Mm. There's not a lot of people who go fuck macro breweries. Mm. You know, like you guys are full of shit. Mm. It's more well, like would you, would you like it's to more see like more you, know, you know, craft beer is different. We're not really competing with SA breweries, and SA breweries is sponsoring this competition. Thank you, SA breweries, and. You know, half of our micro, you know, microbrewers are ex breweries anyway. You, you're saying craft beer needs to be less apologetic about itself yeah. and less obsequious towards the big dicks. Let's be more punk, man. Let's you be know? more punk. Brew dogs have it right. Yeah. You know, sure. fuck the man. Yeah, sure. American sure. craft beer hasn't grown the way it has because they were obsequiously Suck, yeah, sucking and as a facile fucking, yeah. They were like, fuck microbreweries, mm-hmm. you know. Screw you guys. You don't, you're not doing us any service here. Sure. Uh, we see the agenda, right? And I like that about craft beer. That's what appealed to me. Mm. You know, so maybe I'm just like a rebel without a cause, maybe. No, but well, I mean, there's a cause there, but you might be you might be kicking tires I, here, but I just I just find it a little bit suspi- not suspicious because I'm not very suspicious as an individual, but I, I find it a little bit saddening that South African craft beer has become so soft on macro brewed beer. You know, it's like, mm. oh, you know, they're not all that bad. And I'm yeah. not saying that, you know, I know some brewers from SA Breweries. They're not evil people. No, sure. They're people who went to no, university and who wanted to do something nice with their lives and they've made good lives for themselves and their we're families. Not, we're not talking about them being Sith Lords. What we're talking about no. them is just having a, a, a you know, a different attitude but, towards but the things you love. you can rely on macro-brewed beer and the corporations which own them to be exactly what they are, mm. corporations. And who live according to those guidelines of all corporations around the world, which is profit first, everything else second. Yeah. And I, I, I have left less of an issue with that attitude than I do towards the kind of uh, astroturfing that's going on with yeah. the 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 slow and steady kind of infiltration of the craft mm-hmm. market by by the macro brewers. Uh, sure. And I think I think it's um, I think it's very surreptitious. Um, that's I think it's, dishonest. It's, it's, it is vaguely dishonest. Mm-hmm. Um, things like Friends and Street is. To me, is it's weird. clearly not craft. It's it's weird, mm. and uh, and I don't like it, and no. and it's not. You know, I would have more respect for for SAB if they were upfront about those mm. uh, about what they were doing, rather than having to. But that's the thing. Understand they, they and cannot, know the industry. It's you know? not that they don't want to be upfront. I don't think they can, because the way that the corporate structures work and that marketing works and all those things work is that that you have to go with whatever's trendy and mm. your average. Big corporation marketing department is not going to see the craft beer movement for what it is. They're going to mm. see it as a trend because mm. everything is a trend for them. Of course. That's what marketing you know, is about. We're now going for the authenticity trend. Yeah. It's really on trend right yeah. now. Yeah. You know, the idea that it was made by an actual person <laughs> and not a robot is on trend. <laughs> yeah. We better do that. Yeah. Until AI invents trends, mm. then we're going to have to do this. So we, we can't help, they can't help themselves in some way. No. Um, but I think that it is disappointing to me sometimes how cozy that's actually the better word for it i think i think cozy, craft, yeah. the craft beer scene yeah. in south africa for me is way too cozy yeah. with the macro brute scene yeah. you basically want them to tell them to go fuck themselves and that's what's happened in america and, and people have been called out because they are astroturfing or that a macro brewed brewery will buy a microbrewery and then suddenly change everything and then people would stop buying that beer 
Because they know this is not what I sign up for here. You know, get out of the pool. You know, you're not stay in your lane. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, And I like that. Um, I think that what you know we can point to here is if you if you transplant what we've seen in in beer to other industries, it becomes more clear to me. Mm. And that's why I've got a problem with the way that macro brewed breweries have have shaped the beer industry. Yeah. Uh, so people in South Africa are very familiar with wine. You know, wine is our yeah, thing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's ubiquitous. If if you only ever knew about Merlot as a style of wine, and that was wine for you. Mm. So, you, you know, your experience of wine would be there's one wine called Merlot, and you have different kinds of Merlot mm. from different, different brands, yeah. different vineyards, and that's wine. Yeah. And someone came up to you one day after 20 years of drinking only Merlot from different vineyards. And said, you know what? There's this there's this wine called Sauvignon Blanc. It's not red. It mm. is crystal clear, and tastes amazing. And you go like, yeah, but that's not wine. And you and yeah. the person told you, no, this is wine. Yeah, but the, the vineyards style. have just fooled you into believing that there's only one style of wine. Mm. You'd be pissed off. Yeah, sure. And then you discovered Cabernet and Pinot Noir and yeah. Gewurztraminer and you know Riesling. Yeah. And you go like, fuck these guys, Yeah, why man. would they hide this from me? Why would you hide this? Well, this is good shit. Yeah. This is what has happened to beer. And that's why I'm pissed off. Okay. Right? That's why all craft brewers who have it in their heart to be craft brewers should be, must be pissed should off. Should be pissed off, yeah. It's that simple. They've just, they've reduced something beautiful into something very, very homogenous and boring. We, we've got about five minutes left, Jim, or so. So <laughs> you, could, you could rant for another five minutes. About? Or, uh, or or we could um, let's go on with our list. Well, I was going to I was going to ask you mm. the question since you've been fucking throwing them my way. Um, throw them. Th- I'm gonna, I'm going to throw them. Mm. Uh, I want to know. Uh, you, we've done movies, mm. so I want to know what your best uh, what your best TV show of 2016 was. Mm. Again, easy. My, mine is very easy. I'd like to know what yours is. Stranger Things. You see, I knew you were going to say that. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm embarrassed. I still haven't fucking seen it. And that was a great, I have great been, show. I have been so lax in my duties. Although I have to say, I, I would want to argue that I've got two number ones here. Oh, okay. It's well, not a runner-up. It's so close that I can't call it's it. It's like a tie. It's a tie. Okay, what's the, what is the, the Is it Stranger one? Days or Stranger Things? Stranger Things. Sorry. Stranger, Str- Things? Strange, Strange Days is the uh, Ray uh, Fiennes, yeah, Angela also, Bassett. Very disturbing movie. Fantastic movie. So, so my, my tie for 2016 would be Stranger Things tied with Jessica Jones. You you enjoy Jessica Jones? I loved it. I've I've heard I've heard it's very very good. Loved it. I am um, I haven't gone into it's it noir. Myself. It's different. Breaks just about every superhero stereotype I've ever seen. Yeah. And it and and at the heart of it, it's a truly scary movie. It's got one of the scariest villains I've ever seen conceived of in a in a TV show or in any kind of uh, yeah story full, like full stop. I mean, this guy is just so scary, and and they play that they they spool out that scariness. Throughout the entire series, yeah, up until the very end, yeah, and it is well, well done. Yeah, I love Jessica. Uh, is it is it just one season? Is it two seasons? It's like a mini series. It's one season. It really is just one season. Yeah. The idea I think behind these are that they they're bringing they they're having one, with the exception I think of Daredevil, which is multiple season. But they've got Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, mm. Daredevil, and now Iron Fist, Iron which Fist has just, just been released, and then out, they're yeah. going to come together in a. 
Yes. Justice League type of style. Yeah, like a Defenders. Yeah, Defenders. Yeah. yeah. But Jessica Jones was incredible. It, it was, uh, you know, my whole family watched that thing and it was just like we couldn't wait for the next mm. episode. It was so good. Mm. Mm. And, and it was tense. I mean, you feel exhausted after watching an yeah. episode of Jessica Jones because you feel that tension of when is this villain going to show up and yeah. do shit? So, I mean, actual high stakes. High know? stakes. Yeah. And... But I must say, I mean, I, Stranger um, Things is not a show I could watch on my own or in the dark. It scared the crap out of me. It's like watching, it's, it's, it's the best Stephen King adaptation, which is not a Stephen King adaptation I've ever seen. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think there's so much uh, homage built into Stranger oh, Things. That, uh, I mean, up to and including the, the logo and yeah, the music and everything. It's, it's Spielberg, it's Stephen King. It's, well, it's more, st- I mean, for anyone who hasn't watched it yet, Please know that this is way more Stephen King than Steven Spielberg. Because I went in watching that show thinking it was Steven Ex- Spielberg. Expecting E.T. and getting, I was expecting E.T. and, and I got it. it. <laughs> that was shocking. I was, I was thinking the same it thing. It was super scary. Yeah. Um, so yeah. There's, a, there's, a, there's, there's much more Stephen King in that, in that show, but it is good Stephen King. Mm. Yeah, him know, at, his, at his best, not at his We know worst. that his TV adaptations aren't always very good. Yeah. For every, for every The Stand, there's also Tommy Knockers. Oh, hell yeah. Um, no, Stranger Things, Cracker Jack Show, Jessica, Jessica Jones. Jones. Both of them very edgy. I mean, it's interesting that I maybe it's, it's a reflection of the year, but um, it's got to be edgy, man. It, it had to be exhausting and emotionally yeah, traumatizing. Gotta, yeah, it's got to leave you like <laughs> <laughs> like lying on the floor, no, for bruised, sure. bruised and beaten. What about you, man? Uh, I've I've one hands down winner from 2016, um, and then a like a, a a massive shout out for a for a mm. 2017 show that has just started. Right. But my my 2016 would be Westworld. I thought Westworld yeah, was Yeah, that was very good. was just unbelievable. Very Every good. single episode mm. was was mesmerizing. Uh, I thought And it, it's one of those few shows I thought which had multiple twisty endings. Yeah, it was it could have gone, yeah. Like yeah. virtually every second episode had something like I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Yeah, and but what I like about it is they did it in the non-lost fashion. You know, yeah. it was they knew where they were writing to mm. the whole time. Whereas something like Lost, you know, that they're kind of making up as they go along. And a hell of an impressive cast. I mean, when were Hopkins you when would you see Ed Harrison and, and Hopkins, Hopkins in the TV show? Absolutely, I was sharing a scene. Never mind. <laughs> Incredible, um, phenomenal, phenomenal. I thought, um, mm. uh, what's her name, Dolores? Um, Yes. Oh, I always forget that. No, she really name. knocked it out the park. She was phenomenal. Mm. I mean, just really genuinely good. Just the range of emotion. Yeah. Um, the 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 scientist who turns out. Oh, I should probably shouldn't give anything away. Uh, but, but, but Bernard, uh, you know, beautifully mm. acted. I, I I thought it was just an exceptional cast, exceptional writing. No, I mean, that's that was... that's uh, that's Nolan. That's Jonathan Nolan, Christopher Nolan's brother. Exactly. Um, and I mean, those those two are just. Oh, the Nolan brothers know their God. thing. God. But my, my shout-out for 2017, mm. because I, I, I'm sure it missed 2016 by mm. about four days, is, is probably the best show I've seen on TV in about 20 years. Mm. Um, and that's Legion. And it's, it's just I started, haven't watched that yet. It is, it is TV unlike I've seen it before. Right. It, is un, it, question, it makes you question everything. It, wow. it questions narrative. It questions character. It's, mm. it's fourth wall breaking at the same time okay. without being self-referential. It's... It's fantastic. Mm. I highly recommend it if you yeah. can get hold of them. I'm about five episodes in. Okay. Um, I would binge watch it if mm. they had finished shooting the first season. Yeah. No, I want to watch that. It's it on is. my to-do list. My shout-out would be Luke Cage, which is in the same yes, uh, mold as Jessica Jones. Uh, uh, I love that. It you, was, you like your superhero stuff, eh? 
Is it because did you dream of being a superhero, little boy? Well, you did know, you as, as Seinfeld up? said, you know, when boys grow up and they they watch superhero movies and read comics, they don't think this is fiction. They see this as options. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree with that. I yeah. mean, Luke Cage was like the best of black exploitation shaft, yeah, mixed with just excellent social commentary, yeah, brilliant acting. I loved it. And I that's the, the, that's that's your 2017 shout out. Well, I think it's 2016. I think it was probably, yeah, I was going to say I think it was midway through 2016. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now okay. I've got one for you, Matt, and it's it's a funny category. Oh God! I call it the best golden oldie movie you watched in 2016. <laughs> which impressed you despite being a little embarrassed at yeah, watching it. Yeah. You, you, you warned me about this category. Mm. So um, this is the sort of movie which you watch and you think, I can't believe how good this still is. Yeah. But you wouldn't want your, your <laughs> friends or loved ones to walk in seeing you watch it because that's sort of like it's someone bit, walking in seeing you do something else. Yeah, like you're masturbating. I wasn't going to say that, but now that you did. Well, now you can say masturbating. <laughs> what? Is there a movie like that for you? Um, I have lots of movies that I'm super mm. embarrassed about mm. that I so watch. So guilty pleasure movie. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, l- literally, um, any movie that makes me cry um, is <laughs> is a movie that I'm going to. You don't go like showing to. your emotions. I don't right? want other people to see me crying. <laughs> uh, but stuff like I don't know if you remember me, uh, Richard Gere and Mr. Jones, which is like a, his right. his battle with depression, right. or Regarding Henry, which Regarding is Henry a, is my crying movie. Harrison Ford, you know, mm-hmm. dealing with you know losing his mental. F- uh, so so it's normally those movies that I that I'm embarrassed about watching mm-hmm. again and again and again. I'm going to pick something which is never never going to win any awards. Except for award for the best use of nipple caps. Every single time I watch this movie, I am embarrassed to think how good I think this is. Every single time I watch this movie, I I cannot believe that I'm enjoying it as much as I am. And I cannot believe that it hasn't dated like every single other movie shot during that time. Say it. Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. With Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is not something to be ashamed of, my friend. Man, I cannot believe how good that movie is. It frustrates me how good that movie is. To drive your enemies before you. <laughs> Lamentations of the, the woman, woman. <laughs> you know that. Of course, it's got James Earl Jones. It's got James Earl Jones, which is about the time when he was doing Darth Vader. Yeah, um, it probably was just after that. I but, suppose you know it shouldn't be a good movie. It's got Schwarzenegger who can hardly speak English at the time. Yeah, he's barely capable of coherent. It's, it's got a narrator, which is usually a sign of a really bad movie. Yeah, but you know what? I have to say though, the special effects and practical effects, really, because they're very little yeah. special effects, are. Very solid, yeah. Because I've I've obviously dug into this movie quite deeply, so to figure out why I like it, <laughs> why I, yeah, why I care so, so much. So one of the reasons this. is that all the props and everything are real. Like the swords are real. Are they're the, not prop swords? They were actual. They steel. were master blade made swords. Okay. Because and the actors had to physically exercise to be able to lift and swing them around. The also something I didn't know at the time was. The, a lot of the dioramas and scenes shot in the movie were meant to resemble Frank Frazetta's art. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I can imagine that. And the, a lot the of them were. The muscles mm. and the loincloths. Yeah, the, like people lying around in various stages of undress with snakes all over the place. Yeah, makes sense. It was made to resemble his art. And, and the, the people who made the movie just seemed to all... It was a perfect storm. People came yeah. together who were serious about fantasy, who wanted to, to shoot the first movie which... Which didn't make fantasy seem hokey and idiotic, and and it worked.
So right. final category, Matt. Final Go category before we almost it. finished. Yeah. We have to talk about beer. So what is your best and worst beer or beer moment of last year, 2016? Let's start with best. Maybe we start with worst. Let's start with worst so we can finish on a positive note. What was your worst beer or beer moment of 2016? I'm, I'm trying to remember where I was, where, where it was. But I got, uh, I, I, I got a beer from a craft brewery. Mm. Um, not, a, not a huge craft brewery, but they were, you know, people have been talking about them. Mm. And I got a bottle and it was, it was the, and, and they were, you know, they were very into it. They were talking about mm. the beer and they were very, mm. they were effusive, you know, you've got to try this and maybe right. with this. And, and I was like, great, you know, you guys are very, you're hustling. It's cool. You know, nice job. Mm. Let me taste the beer. And it, it was categorically the worst beer I've ever tasted <laughs> in my entire life. And this is something we actually kind of discuss a lot yeah. of the time, you know, in this podcast and, and in our mm. own lives mm. about that kind of inversion of efforts to, to outcome, yes. you know. And it's really, really hard for me to look at a craft brewer in the eye who you can see are enthusiastic mm. about the beer and they want you to like it and they're hustling to try and get the name out there. Yeah. And it's hard for me to turn and look them in the eye and go, this is the worst beer I've ever <laughs> tasted. And this includes... Yeah, literally the worst beer. It, this includes Marcel's urinary incontinence yeah. class of light, you know? So so that 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 was the worst for me. And I'm not going to say what... What brewery it was, but it it was very disappointing. Mm. The 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 best my my favorite beer moments would mm. be would be starting this podcast. Ah, that's uh, very it, nice. It's I've uh, I've learned more than I ever wanted to know mm. about beer. The crowd I'll, goes on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ignorance was blessed before. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I really used to enjoy Castle Light. I won't. Now every time I drink it, I have to think well, of your just urine. Just buy black label for crying out loud. Uh, I, I don't like to be challenged. <laughs> so, so I think I think that in general, mm. and and specifically, uh, I, I recently was on holiday at the at the south coast. Um, a really nice time of year is like that kind of late February period because everyone's left, and you kind of you still have the nice weather, but you don't have yeah. five thousand tourists on yeah, your yeah, on yeah. your lawn. And um, and uh, we. It was a, it was a, you know, a nice uh, re- renewal of vow, vows on the beach, and it was about three o'clock in the morning, mm. and it had been a beautiful day. And I remember very vividly sitting on the rocks with my feet in the ocean, mm. and uh, I had a Parisian Union actually, mm. um, and I was that's what I was drinking. And I just remember that quite vividly as a, a, one of those perfect moments. Yeah, I think it's, that's nice. Is that often the best beers we have is not just because it's a good beer, because of the moment, absolutely, because of the context, absolutely, yeah. So my most disappointing beer moment, I mean, I, I had a few beers I didn't like last year, but there weren't that many disappointing beers for me, which was a good thing. Um, my most disappointing beer moment was something we have already discussed in this podcast, which is the slop bucket <laughs> phenomenon at beer, at festivals. beer festivals. I just yeah. still find that very disappointing. Yeah, uh, I don't need to go on about it anymore than I already have. <laughs> um, We've already had two rants in this yeah, podcast. No, Let's have. not go for a third. Uh, best beer moment last year. It, there's a lot of good ones, and I, I would put the podcast up there as well mm. because that has been fantastic for me. I'm really enjoying this. But just as a, as one of those contextual, beautiful moments where everything comes together was sitting at the Woodstock Brewery in Cape Town having a number of pints of their Californicator IPA, talking to the brewery staff there and, and enjoying it, and just a perfect day, mm. you know, just relaxed, nothing to do. No agenda, nothing, yeah. no no time issues hounding me. 
and and just enjoying some fresh IPA at a beautiful brewery yeah. with people who love craft breweries yeah. and beer. It was just the perfect moment. Uh, cool. 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 I think with that, we're probably done. Yeah. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. And thank you. So a few shout-outs. Thank you for the music. And it was brought to us by the Deaf Commission, Josie-based hard rock slash stoner rock outfit. Yeah. We've been enjoying it. Yeah. I hope you have. Yeah. Any any beers or breweries to watch out for, Matt? Um, I was telling you, you've got on your bucket list to try. I was telling you earlier on that um, I I, over the last two or three weeks, I've had a couple of beers, and I don't want to lie. I'm just going to quickly Google them. Mm. I think the name of the brewery is Poison City. Right, they're 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 a Durban-based craft. Craft beer. I'm just opening their website quickly. Um, I've, I've, I think I've had three or four of their mm. of their beers. Very, very nice. Okay, I must very, try that. Very, I haven't tried any nice. of it. Maybe we must review one of their beers next time around. Uh, yeah, I would. Uh, I've had and their la- their, their their marketing, their, their mm. labeling is fantastic. Okay, really beautiful labels. Um, mm. You know, nicely drawn. Good use. The fonts are nice. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, it's um, I've had the I think the punk rocker. Goody. Which is okay. very, very nice. Sounds good. Yeah. So we, we must we must try that. I think the mine would be down Stellenbosch. There's a brewery which is really starting to make some moves. Called I think they're called the Stellenbosch Brewing Company, but their sh- short name is Stellies. Mm. It's on all their bottles. Uh, looks good. I haven't had any of their beers yet. I'm going down there shortly. So I'll report back in our next episode. Thanks, Marcel. Thanks, man. Have a good one. You too. I mean, if you, a jacket of conical fermenter is a jacket of con- conical fermenter. And, That's and, what I always say. Yeah, man. So my mama used to <laughs> say. My mama used to tell me. You're out of conical fermenters. <laughs> you're out of fermenters, boy.